What an awesome, mighty God we serve. Isn't it wonderful to know that he cares about our deepest need? I'm going to ask you to hang in there with me this morning. Um, the reason I say hang in there is because the way I'm going to be um, talking to you, what I'm going to be sharing is, um, is in more of a story format. There are some points that I'll bring out. You already heard the, the, the scripture read. And so now I want to take you into this curious story that we have um, coming up here. You see this tree? You know what that tree is? It's a tree found in Israel, and it is Israel's version of the sycamore. Now, it's a, it's a mulberry fig tree is really what it is. It bears these little wild figs. And you notice the branches, how low they are and how long they are out. And when it's really, really um, summertime there and there's water around those roots, those big leaves come down and it's very dense. The foliage above is very dense. That is the backdrop for this curious story. It's rather curious tree, isn't it? Those big old roots that hidden down there into the ground are almost as big as the branches themselves. Trying to pull the nutrients and uh, I said it, it is a very curious, uh, curious looking tree. But I want to tell you about a curious story. The whole story is curious. It, it starts with a curious Christ. This curious Christ had a um, curious beginning. If you get tired of the word curious today, I'm sorry. You're going to hear it a lot. But, but I want you to understand, this, this Jesus, he had a very um, unusual beginning. It was lowly. It was meek. I mean, he was born in a manger, right? Y'all know that story. I don't have to retell that story to you. But while he had the, the smallness and the little things of his beginnings were rather humble, in another way, it was spectacular, right? Because there was this star that started out in the east and came back to the west, and, and it, it drove men like kings to walk away from their kingdoms. And to go in search of this little baby which was to be born. Well, he had humble beginnings, but, but they weren't just, the beginnings were not just humble. He, he actually kind of disappeared in Scripture. I mean, we see him when, his birth, when he was born. We see him again at eight. And then we don't see him until he's 30 years old. His childhood and his formative years, were, we don't know a lot about him. It, it, it was very probable because his, his earthly father was a carpenter, it is very probable that from the time that he was able to do any chores around the house, he probably helped his father do carpentry work. Just insignificant things. The world will not remember what happened during that 30 years. But at 30 years old, something really curious happened. This Jesus who had been in the shadows, been hidden, been uh, almost unheard of, suddenly took the public stage. 
And in a thousand days, which was all he had left, he made 100 appearances. Some of them as simple, noted, simply noted in Scripture as he traveled from here to here, right? But he became a public figure in that time period. And for three of those years, he did miracles. He, he touched people's lives. He journeyed with his disciples everywhere they went. He, he lived with them. That's kind of what we're going to talk about tonight. When we come back to this journey 15 tonight as we meet here at 530, those that want to come. And I know it's not for everybody. I get that. But you're invited if you want to come. We're just going to journey together. Okay? And we're going to kind of do it in the way that Jesus did. We're going to live life together. We're going to talk about some things together. We're going to pray about some things together. We're going to share some events of our lives where God can receive the glory. We're going to be accountable to one another for our spiritual walk. And that's what Jesus did in these, these first three years, these first, oh, 900 or so days that he was... Alive on the face of the earth. But somewhere along um, toward the end of his ministry, he, he had offended all of the religious leaders. He had offended all of the people who were in charge of the spiritual world. They literally wanted him dead. I mean, dead. And Jesus knew that if he stayed around them, that he would not get to uh, proclaim his message. And, and he knew that ultimately his destiny was the cross. And so he just he, he, he stayed up in the Galilee area. He stayed away from the Jerusalem area, which was the center of the religious thing uh, world at the time. But people began to call him, not just Jesus, but they began to call him Master. They begin to call him Savior. They begin to call him Teacher. They begin to call him Lord. They begin to call him Messiah, Promised One. In Greek, the word is Christ, Christos. And, and as they begin to proclaim these things about him, the pressure in the world around him got heavier and heavier and heavier. And, and, and all of a sudden, one day, while he was in Galilee, he turned around to the people around him and he says, we must go back to Jerusalem. And the way Luke 9 says it, it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. What, what, what do you set your face? What's that mean? That's it. I know what... I know that the things that are down here are going to be difficult. I know it's going to be hard to face, but I know I've got a task to do, so I'm going to go do it. And he, he just locked it in. We got to go. And so he left his home for the last time on earth, and he proceeded to his heavenly throne via a route that would take him on a curious journey. Now, the curious journey was one that um, it, it, it was kind of um, 
overwhelming to, to the people that were around him because he didn't, he, he, didn't, um, he didn't give them a full explanation. They knew that the priests were there to kill him. They knew that he was going to face the persecution. They knew that if Jesus showed his face in Jerusalem, he probably was going to die. But they also had this nagging belief that he was the Messiah. And in their minds, you know what the Messiah was? He was a conqueror. And so they're like, okay, let's go with the conqueror. Let's return to Jerusalem and be victorious. But Jesus, of course, knew returning to Jerusalem meant his certain death. And so Jesus had dying in the plan from the very get-go. How curious is that? I mean, when God sent him to earth, the whole purpose of Je Jesus coming to earth was to die. I just... That's mind-boggling. I mean, think about this. What, what would you say if, um, if I told you that I am supposed to go start a church and the purpose of the church is to close? Does that make any sense? If I tell you that I'm supposed to invest money and the purpose of investing that money is to lose it all? That, that doesn't make much sense, does it? It's a curious way to do things. But you see, God had a plan for Jesus. And his plan was dying. From the very beginning, Jesus came to die. Jesus knew, though, that on his way to die, there would be some very important people that he needed to meet and intersect with their lives. Several of them needed his attention. Now, I don't know about you, but I would find it a little hard to deal with if I knew I'm on the road to my own death and I'm supposed to stop and talk to some knuckleheads? I mean, you know what I'm saying? It would probably be difficult for me to get my head around that. It would probably be difficult for me to accept my role as as somebody who can intersect with that knucklehead's life. I probably would say, now hold on. I don't have time for knuckleheads. I have to go die. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I have time for knuckleheads. And so, on this curious journey, no one was beyond his reach. And as he left Galilee, he moved over to the eastern side of Jordan, which was really not the promised land that was a land that Manasseh, the half-tribe of Manasseh and Gad and Asher ended up putting their, their, their people in. But it really wasn't meant for the children of Israel. They were supposed to be on the other side of Jordan. And he came down that way because he was to intersect with some people's lives over there. Then he crossed over the Jordan right about where the children of Israel did. And he entered into that first big city that the children of Israel entered into. Matter of fact, it was the oldest city, probably still is, the oldest inhabited city in the world. By that I mean continually inhabited. From the day it was inhabited until now, it has not been uninhabited. That city of Jericho. Joshua did the battle of Jericho, Jericho. You know that song, yeah. And I don't want to get you off on another track, but I just want you to know that's where Jesus went. And as Jesus entered in, he met this curious little man. Now, there's a couple of ways to pronounce his name. 
you can go Zacchaeus. But when I was a little boy, they always called him Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Some of these old folks here know this song. They were teaching my group in Sunday school that little song is what they were doing. Zacchaeus' name means pure. Now, Zacchaeus was anything but pure. Right? It's interesting that the man who is uh, extremely white has a name like Mr. Black. Here's Zacchaeus having this name that meant Mr. Pure. And he was a filthy man. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about his heart. I'm talking about his mind. I'm talking about his activities. He was little teeny man. Probably the shortest man in the city. Undoubtedly under five feet tall. About like Bobby Joe. Just a wee little man. And because he was so short, he probably was shorter than that even. Because what we find was, as Jesus started to come into the city, he couldn't see over top of people. So his little, being little of stature, he had to find a way to be able to see over into what was happening with Jesus. So the people are gathered around, and he's like, you know, can't do it. So he did something else. I'll tell you about that. But he was not, not just little in stature, but he was big in wealth. By that I mean he was probably the wealthiest man in the region. Why was he a wealthy man in the region? Because he was what they called a publican. Now, I'll give you some of the background because I think some of the background is important. In the Roman times, they taxed people. Romans were really good on the whole IRS thing, right? But the way they did it was this. They said, we'll get some of our rich people to buy the tax-collecting contracts. And the Romans would say, we think this country over here should pay um, about a half a million dollars in taxes. And so they would get this group of people who were wealthy entrepreneurs and they would say to them, we're going to let you all collect taxes on this country. How much are you going to bid? We believe there's a half a million dollars or more to be collected. And the guys who were capable of bidding, the publicani, which were wealthy Romans, would say, well, we'll give you 400000 for it. And somebody else would say, well, we'll give you 500000 for it. And somebody else would say, we'll give you 600000 Now, you got to get this. Because they had to bid under what they would take in or there was no profit. So they're saying, we'll give you $500,000 to take money from this place. And then if they did the taxes, they were permitted, under law, they were permitted to make 10%. But get this. The publicani made his 10%. And then he had people under him who made their percentages. And it was kind of this uh, pyramid scheme, you know. What started out 
as being $500,000 in taxes ended up being a million, a million five. And guess who hurt? Certainly wasn't the publicani. They had to come with the money out of their pocket. But they got good enforcers. And the Romans didn't go collect the taxes. They found people inside that culture to collect taxes for them. The Jews. And so guess what? This little wee man. This little guy that people didn't really look up to in any way. Physically. Now... He is getting paid to take money from the people on the street. And things that were taxed were such as this. The, the, tax, the tax guys, the publicans, and the tax collectors. There were two different types of people. The publicans were in charge of the whole group of tax collectors in Jericho, which was what Zacchaeus' job was. And then there were tax collectors who collected for him in different places around Jerusalem. And one of the things, one of the areas that, uh, that they would collect for was people would come in and as they were coming into the city, they'd say, okay, take off your, they would say to them, okay, now you take all of your stuff and lay it down on the street. So if you're walking through, you'd have to take your stuff off, lay it down on the street, and they would say, okay, that's worth this, this is worth this, this is worth this, and this is worth this. Therefore, you owe us 1% of everything you're carrying. So if you had $100, you had to come up with a dollar. Now get this. You couldn't say, I paid yesterday. Right? So if you got caught three times, man, this is sounding more like, more like IRS every day, isn't it? So if you got caught three times in a month, you had to pay 3% of your income or of your possessions. It... It kind of became a trick. You tried not to carry much of your stuff with you. But of course, part of the problem was if you were a merchant, you were moving things from one place to the other, you had to do it. Another thing is that they had other taxes on other things. If you used a port, you had to pay a tax. If you used a road, you had to pay a tax. If you came through a gate, you had to pay a tax. If you were taking stuff out to sell, you had to pay a tax. And guess what Jer Jericho was known for at that time? Balsam. And, and it was really, really, I mean, they had whole plantations of balsam. And so, huge, big business. You know, the stuff um, they make the little airplanes out of, the light wood, balsam wood, cork-type material. Awesome wood. That's what I'm talking about. So they they needed it. That it was it was great. And this guy, he he wasn't the publicani bidding on it because he wasn't Roman. He was Jewish, but he was well liked and had this relationship deservingly. And so he, according to the Jewish people, was not a friend to the Jews. He was a friend to the Romans. Because he was connected with the Romans, he was considered to be in the same league as murderers, thieves, and then the third word is publicans. Matter of fact, the publicans were so despised that their local congregations were not permitted to receive a donation from them. Their money was blood money according to the leaders of the time. 
They were so mistrusted, they couldn't even testify in a court of law. If they saw something happen, they couldn't testify. They were looked at as they're liars, they're thieves, they're murderers. Their word can't be trusted. So here's this wee little man, Zacchaeus, despised by these people around him, and yet more wealthy than anybody in the region. He probably had more possessions and bigger, nicer house and more wonderful things and access to cash flow. None of these people had around him, which of course made them matter and matter and matter. He had everything, but he probably had nothing in the way of relationships. So, his curiosity about who this Jesus was. He had heard that they had been calling him master. He had heard they had talked about him being Lord. They had, he had heard them talking about him possibly being the Messiah. And he was curious. Now, he would never have been led in the circle around Jesus. You see, the circle around Jesus were not just common people. There were a lot of the religious leaders at the time coming around Jesus because the word Messiah was a big thing. It meant deliverer. In the city of Jericho alone, there were over 10,000 priests. And they were all clamoring around, trying to get a look at who this Jesus was, trying to find out if what he had to say was true, trying to find out if this story had any value. And they had heard where he turned the water into wine. They had heard where he had raised the dead. They heard where he had touched the lame man, caused the blind to see, and they wanted him to do it. And Zacchaeus, so what did he do? He did something that rich people don't do. He became quite undignified. He hiked up his robe and ran ahead of the crowd out to the tree, climbed up in the tree, and from up in the tree on that tree limb, looking out over the crowd, knowing that Jesus would have to come that way because that's the way the road went. And so the crowd comes around, and Jesus comes to the base of that sycamore tree, and here's the wealthiest man in the city sitting up in the tree, looking down, and Jesus stops. <laughs> and a curious circumstance certainly developed right there in the midst of that situation. His curiosity and his inadequacy drove Zacchaeus right straight up into the sycamore tree. And there in that place, Jesus looked right into his eye. You see... Zacchaeus just wanted to see. He didn't want to be seen. You ever been there? Yeah, I, I just, like to, just like to take a look at it. That's the reason you get these wonderful pictures. Where the news comes in. And, and they're showing that this car is driven into the side of a mailbox or something. And, and, and you got this lady out there in her bathrobe and her fuzzy slippers. And she's peeking out the door and the news camera's like... She's not really wanting to be seen, you know. But, but, but she's just wanting to take a look at what's happening. She's wanting to find out what's going on. That's where Zacchaeus was. Up in this tree, wanting to see what was going on. He was on the outside looking in. 
Jesus from the inside. Jesus saw him. He didn't just see him. He saw him. He knew he was a tax collector. He knew he was vile. He knew that he was considered to be a murderer and a thief. And here's the most phenomenal thing to, to Zacchaeus of all that took place. Jesus looked straight into his eyes and said to a total stranger, Zacchaeus. <laughs> Does that make you happy? To know that where you are, a total stranger to this, to this Jesus Christ, someone who doesn't, he's not known and, and the crowd doesn't like, and Jesus looks straight beyond all the circumstances and looks you in the eye and says, Marlon, Zacchaeus sitting up there on that limb was startled and he was brought to light. It's like the news cameras got that lady in the house coat with her little fuzzy slippers on and they put the camera right in her face and says, Wilma? And now Wilma's got to respond. Now Zacchaeus has to respond. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, you come down. Right now. I don't know what all Zacchaeus said. I can imagine him at first, you know, there's this red-faced embarrassment. There's this, oh man, I'm stuck up here in a branch and people can see up my robe. And, and, and I'm the richest man in the place and all this stuff is going on. And what am I going to do? And, and maybe that's the first thing that happened. But all of a sudden, here is the one who is supposed to be the Messiah saying his name. And giving him, him a command to come to me. You understand the significance of this? Here is a man that is treated like a leper. Here is a man who is reviled. Here is a man who is shunned. Who is pushed off into the outer distance. And suddenly Jesus says, come here. Get out immediately. Come here. Because today, I'm going to have supper at your house. Nothing like a good old personal invite. I, I, I see y'all. That's what I'm coming over. I'll be there for supper. Actually, I'm going to stay the night. Right? That's what Jesus is telling him. But here's the deal. In our day, it may be a little bit of an inconvenience for some of us. We may say, oh no, I didn't clean the kitchen. Or, oh no, that bathroom's filthy. Or, oh no, I just dropped the can of beans before I left and it spilled all over the floor. And I, and I cleaned up the glass, but I know there's got to be bean pieces underneath the counter. And, and, and that, wasn't, that wasn't even on Zacchaeus' mind. You know Why? Because there were 10,000 priests that would have loved to have had Jesus come stay at their house and have dinner with them and spend the night. But Jesus looked into the eyeballs of the man who was the vilest, most rejected, most outcast person in all of Jericho and said, you, I'm coming to your house. You know how many supper parties Zacchaeus had hosted? Zero. Because people wouldn't be around me. 
Do you know how many events in which he was the guest of honor? Zero. Do you know how many friends he had in the town? Zero. Nobody was permitted to be friends with him. And here, the master of the universe is coming over, not just for supper. We're going to hang out all night at my place, and we're going to talk. What do, you, what do you say when Jesus comes to your house? I mean, are you the one asking the questions, or are you just simply answering what he's asking you? I don't know. All I know that this was one man chosen out of ten over 10,000 priests and the number, man, how many thousands and thousands and thousands of just regular folks. Jesus could have gone to their house. But he said, no, I'm coming to your house today. And Zacchaeus came down out of the tree immediately and welcomed Jesus. Now, let me tell you what a welcome looked like in those days. A welcome had the person who was invited, inviting the guest to his house on his knees. It had him down at Jesus' feet. And he was no doubt kissing his hand and thanking him and worshiping him and paying respect to him. And the crowd around was getting very frustrated, very angry, very... Didn't he know who that is? He's an outcast. Now they use the word publican, but we can add a lot of other words to it for our day and age. You know, like... He's a drug addict. He's a child molester. He's a pervert. He's a wife beater. He's a... You pick it. I don't care what you put in that phrase. I don't care what you put in that spot. The idea is that whoever is the rejected of society, it didn't matter what they had done. Jesus said, I want to be with you. And the crowd is arguing and fussing and fighting. And you know what? Zacchaeus showed his true character with what he did next. Because here is the one who is being regaled as the Messiah, is being regaled as the master, who's being regaled as the teacher. And, and Zacchaeus spoke up immediately in order to preserve the integrity of the one that was coming to his house. And here's what he said. Right now. Here and now. I give half of everything I have to the poor. Right now. Half of my wealth is there. It's, it's done. No argument. I want you to notice something. The way that it is written here is the present active tense. He's not saying, I will do it one day down the road. I'm going to take care of it. He's saying, I know what my wealth is. He said, That's probably all he had to keep track of. 
I mean, his own personal wealth was probably the only thing that he had in his personal life that he had activity in. He probably knew what his personal wealth was down to the penny. And right now, I get it. And if I have cheated anyone, it says I will repay them in the version that we read this morning. But the truth of the matter is the actual Greek is active present. I repay, which meant that his heart had already decided there was no future activity. It was as if it was done. And he said, I repay four times what I've cheated him. You understand the significance of that? David repaid four times. When he took Bathsheba, you remember? Jonathan went to him and said, what happens if a neighbor takes his neighbor's sheep and he's got all the sheep he needs but he looks over and sees his neighbor's sheep and says I want that one and David said huh, he's going to give him four sheep back and Jonathan said you the man you're the one who's done it you're the one who's guilty and, and David then said I will repay and, and you remember the story how he lost his son how he, you know, he had killed Uriah and, and he lost his son. And, and then for the future, all of his sons were messed up as a result of what went on. So Zacchaeus said, I'll repay four times what I took. If I took anything wrongly, I'll repay four times what I took. But then Jesus said these words. Today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For us it's this way. Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a child of God. Now here's what I am amazed at when I look through this. And I, I was just... I'm, Really, I have studied the Bible all of my life. I am 51 years old. I have been reading and studying God's Word for 50 years, ever since I've been able to read. Even before I could read, my parents were reading the Word to me. And of all of the things that I have done, I have never been so amazed as I have looked through the last few months of Jesus' life at how many times he addressed the problem of money. In Luke 18, just before Jesus got to where Zacchaeus was, there was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. So what do I need to do? I've followed all the commands from my birth. I've done all the things that I know to do. What do I have to do to get eternal life? And Jesus said, Sell what you have and give it to the poor. And you know what the rich young ruler did? He turned and walked away sorrowfully because to him the money was more important. Here's this reject of society. Here is this one who has absolutely no one in life. Here is this one who, 
who has no relationship whatsoever. And when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, Jesus didn't tell him to sell what he had. The guy just said, half of it goes to the poor. And if I've hurt anybody else, I'll give them four times. Here's the message today. The Son of Man came to do one thing. To seek and to save those which are lost. He came to die that we might live. So what are you going to do about it? You curious? Are you curious about what Jesus has in store for you? Oh, I know some of you are saying to me, Pastor, I've been following him for years, and, and I, that's wonderful. Some of you may tell me, I remember when I gave my heart to him, and, and he came in, and he made me clean and whole, and I tell you, that's wonderful. Some of you may say, I remember a day when I know he knew me, but I'm not sure anymore. Because I've been being a whole different person than what it was when we had this intimate relationship. And there may be somebody in here today who could literally say to me, Pastor, I don't remember when Jesus looked into my eyes and said, come here. I want to come into your heart. And if that's your case, today is the day of salvation. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save those which are lost. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to give you an opportunity to pray. If you're unsure of your relationship with this Jesus Christ, if you can't call him Master, Savior, Lord, and I invite you to come pray with us. Maybe there's something in your life that you're struggling with and, and you're just not sure of what he wants to do with it or, or you're unsure if you can let go of it or you're unsure if he said to you, um, here's the answer, sell what you have and give it to the poor. Whoa, Jesus, I love you, but that's a little over the top, right? I'm not asking you to sell what you have to give to the poor. I mean, if Jesus asks you, I think you should. But I guess what I'm saying to you this morning is, do you have something that has aroused your curiosity as to what Jesus wants to do in this particular area of your life? Or do you have some scenario or, or perhaps you just say, Pastor, I know I need to be saved. And I don't know how to do that. And what I'd like to do this morning is just look into the master's eyes and have him invite me come. I tell you this morning, that's what he's doing from right up here in the front. He's saying your name and saying, come down immediately. I want to transform you. I want to tell you something about how Jesus did it with Zacchaeus. It didn't take him 20 years to make him a new creature. He became a new creature 
immediately. Not because of what Zacchaeus was, because of who Jesus was. So if you have something that you need God to take care of, he can transform it in an instant this morning if you'll lay it at his feet. I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I invite you to come pray with me. Thank you.